Today is the 15th day of December. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I am Brian. It's great to be here with you today. It's great to be here with you every day or any day. And I'm glad that we have this place that we call the Global Campfire to to be together and take the next step forward together. Yesterday, we were able to experience the book of Jonah in its entirety, which means that we get to move into some new territory yet again today. And that territory will be the book of Micah. And now we'll get to camp out here for a couple of days. Micah is the sixth of the 12 minor prophets. And since we're going through the entire Bible, then we'll go through all 12 of the minor prophets. So we're kind of approaching the halfway point through the minor prophets. We don't know very much about Micah outside of the book of Micah, but we do know some things. Micah's name means who is like God. And we know from the text, he was from the town of Moresheth. And many scholars associate that with Moresheth Gat, which would put him in the lowlands, the, the Shephelah, among the southern villages in the kingdom of Judah. And as Micah begins, we're told that the Lord gave his message to Micah of Moresheth during the years when Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. The visions he saw concerned both Samaria and Jerusalem. So that gives us a bunch of information. The capital city of the northern kingdom was Samaria, and the capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem, and the time of certain kings is named. So we know who he's speaking about, and we know roughly when, and that would put him probably in the early decades of the 8th century B.C., we also know that Micah has a brief mention in the book of Jeremiah, and that's like a century later. So that lets us know that Micah's prophecies were preserved and were still being referenced a century later. And Micah will follow the same general pattern that many of the prophets do. There are first prophetic utterances about doom and destruction and judgment followed by a message of hope and restoration. In Micah, this happens three times. And within the text of Micah are promises of a coming deliverer. And that coming messianic deliverer is associated with Jesus. So, for example, in the book of Matthew, Micah is quoted. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. And even Jesus, our Savior, quoted from the text in Micah, describing, describing his own ministry and the disruption that it brings. He says, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. This is Jesus quoting from the book of Micah. And what we'll see in Micah is that God is angry. Like he is very displeased with corruption, idolatry, rebellion, and the exploitation of the less fortunate. He's very displeased about it, but he's even more passionate about putting things back together, about bringing hope and restoration for those who keep the covenant. And so with that, let's begin the book of Micah. We've been reading from the English Standard Version this week, which is what we'll continue to do. Micah chapters 1 through 4 today. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, 
Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, in Bet Leafra, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zeanon do not come out. The lamentation of Bet Izel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Merot wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Moresh at Gath, the houses of Akzib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Marishah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses, and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, Against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. 
The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry, Peace, when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you, without vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money, Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. It shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths." For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit, every man, under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. 
for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem, now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Revelation 6 Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold... There was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. 
The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Psalm 134 Come bless the Lord, a song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Proverbs 30 1 through 4 The words of Agor, son of Jekai, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for our lives. We thank you that we have the scriptures and they point us toward you and that we have been welcomed into an intimate relationship with you. We are beyond grateful. Words fail us. There is no vocabulary that can describe anything but a mere glimpse of your power, your might, your majesty. And yet you know each of us by name and are fathering us and leading us. And part of the way you are doing that is allowing us to come together and feast upon your word each and every day. And we are grateful for this. And so, Holy Spirit, plant what we have read today into our lives, into our hearts, today and every day, that it might cleanse us and correct us and direct us forward on the narrow path that leads to life. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. DailyAudioBible.com is home base, and that is the website. It's where you find out what's going on around here. And there's always stuff, but it's Christmas time, and so it's Christmas that's going on around here. And so I will mention just for the last couple of days until, uh, well, until it's Christmas week, that the Daily Audio Bible Family Christmas Box for 2022 is still available and we'll still be shipping it. We'll do our kind of last Christmas shipping at the very, very beginning of next week. And so we are down to these final days and I invite you to, to check out all the stuff we've crammed into the box for this year. You can find it at dailyaudiobible.com or in the app by going to the shop. And in the shop is a Christmas category and the Christmas box is in the Christmas category. And so check that out. And our annual Christmas party is uh, is coming soon. 
within the next couple of days. So, so watch out for that. That will just, that will just show up right where you go to get the daily audio Bible every day. That will just show up as an additional episode. And so excited for our annual Christmas party. And so trying to get that out here within the next day or two, if possible. So watch for that. And lastly, if you want to partner with the Daily Audio Bible, if moving uh, through the Bible in community around the global campfire has been life-giving this year, thank you humbly for your partnership. We wouldn't be here if we weren't in this together as a community, and so thank you humbly. There is a link on the homepage at dailyaudiobible.com. If you're using the app, you can press the Give button in the upper right-hand corner. Or the mailing address is P.O. Box 1996, Spring Hill, Tennessee, 37174. And as always, if you have a prayer request or encouragement, you can hit the hotline button in the app. That's the red button up at the top. Or you can dial 877 942 4253 and that's it for today I'm Brian I love you and I'll be waiting for you here tomorrow hey dad family this is Danny from Southern Oregon I have been just saturating myself with the Harden family Brian, I am so glad that you mentioned uh, Jill's song, Do You Hear What I Hear? Because I've never listened to it before. And wow, oh my gosh, it is so good. It's the best rendition I have ever heard. And it, it's so um, exciting. I just get I just get like full of energy when I listen to it. Oh, and then I love her Oh Holy Night too. I've been listening to that since it came out. And um been going to sleep with Max's Christmas album and you know our roads are pretty icy and snowy and it's a little bit tense driving and so I've been putting on your heart album while I'm driving and it just calms me relaxes me reminds me that God is with me no matter what and I love it and I'm also loving the sleep album so I just want to thank you whole family for everything that you do to make our lives better and bring us closer to Jesus you guys are so amazing Thank you. Hello, DAB family. Guess what? Dr. John from Jordan, New York, and I am Grandpa Dr. John. Thank you so much for all of your prayers. Uh, Sarah had Ezra Keegan Scott Alley on November 27th. After three days of induction, they elected to do a cesarean section which was likely a really good idea because he was nine pounds and 13 ounces. That little chunkaroo came out with wrist rolls. He is so stinking cute. And I see lots of babies and I know cute and he's like pegging the cuteness scale. So anyway, thank you all for your prayers. Sarah and Ezra are both doing well. And Papa Joshua is popping buttons so as is Papa I'm going by Papa and uh, yeah it's awesome so thank you very much uh, Dr. John signing off bye bye hello fellow members of the Daily Audio Bible family it is I Lawrence the slow boat sometimes I get behind but not lately Sometimes I actually turn the boat around and revisit prayers and people that I've starred on the DAB app. In doing this, I am struck by the troubles of men and especially our young men and by the anxieties, helplessness, and the deep grief of those who love them. Believe me, I have lived through this. So, 
and I want to start by encouraging Michaela from Gloucester for the love she shows her nephew Taylor. And I pray for Betty from Hamburg and the turmoil of her son Nathan's mind after his period of catatonia. And also for Rich in Arkansas, who on October 15th had not had one good word in the past week and cries out for help. And for Yolanda and her son, bullied and beaten so cruelly. And for Kevin, displaced to the United Kingdom, wondering if God has forgotten him. And for Brian and his son Mitchell. Oh, Brian, I know. I hear your torment as you feel you can do nothing for Mitchell. And for the man just released from 23 years in prison and who now feels so alone, may my prayers for you be incense rising up to God's throne. Hello, Daily Audio Bible friends and family. I'm Israel from Lancaster, and I'm calling because um, I need prayer. I just caught COVID, and I've been fortunate enough not to catch it until now. However, I am concerned, so I'm reaching out to my family in Christ, and I thank you in advance for your prayers. And just know that I also pray for your petitions. And I want to thank uh, Brian and the whole family for what they do in this great ministry. I appreciate every one of you. I love you as well. And I thank you. Good morning, Dab family. This is Considerate Pure Joy in Ohio. Got the four mutts here with their jingling collars in the background. And I'm convicted by the fact that on December 6th, I didn't pray for people on the water. You see, my, my 23-year-old getting ready to graduate from college has a very similar struggle. It's not a struggle, it's, it's a maturity. Uh, has, has the process um, that she's going through and she's looked around the last four or five years and seen a lot of people who call themselves Christian not be very Christian-like. Uh, she has been around relationships that have disappointed her. She's seen um, really bad things happen to really good people. And she's just struggling with um, her purpose and what God has planned and, and what God's intent really is. And um, Tate, I appreciated your comments around um, needing someone with skin on. What a, what a statement, what a comment. So, so today, people on the water, Tate, um, your family, I'd say all of us pray for this generation that uh, has had to go through so much over the past four or five years in a time that is so formative. And I pray that uh, their, their eyes be opened, that their hearts be changed, or in people on the water's case, encouraged. Um, and I pray that we be those people to do that. So God bless you all. Love you all. You're fantastic. Um, thank you, Brian. What a ministry. God bless. Bye-bye. Trying to be the man that I thought you wanted me to be caused me not to be the man I should have been. But women are just one of the many weaknesses of men. I've allowed many things in this life to set the standard for my own validation. And when I failed to measure up, they became a source of frustration, aggravation, worryation, as well as pride, ego, and self-esteem deflation. And I really can't blame anybody else for the things that I do. Even though all of us are victims, it's true. We're all dealing with forces outside of our control, trying hard to rob us of our eternal soul. And we often can't even see it because we're too full of ourselves, trying hard to dodge our daily past, present, and future hells. 
That's why I thank you, Father, for giving me eyes to see that all we really need in this life is thee. And you created us to lead, not follow, to taste, but not swallow. Because it's the Holy Spirit, our consummate friend, comforter, counselor, that still small voice within, telling us to seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. Because we serve a high priest that's already had it. Jesus said he had a cross to bear and that we would have one too. And every day that statement is being proven true. Father, please give us wings and eyes of faith so we can rise above and see beyond those places that the world is telling us are safe. BlindTony1016 at gmail.com. And once again, Brian and the Harden family, thank you for this wonderful podcast for God's Holy Spirit to flow. Keep it flowing, y'all. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, let's move ourselves back into the book of Revelation since we've been away for a couple of days and try to catch ourselves up. So we had these seven letters to seven churches. And after John wrote down what he was told to say, a door in heaven was opened up and John was caught up in the spirit to a place that he identifies as heaven into a throne room or throne area of God. We don't know like if this is partially outside or fully outside or inside. The sea is like glass before the throne. We don't know if that's like a, a, a liquid sea made out of something different than water or if that just means it was super calm. But all of a sudden, we're getting glimpses of God. John says the one sitting on the throne looked like Jasper and Carnelian stone, and there was a rainbow around the throne. So he's describing what he's seeing, but he doesn't really have words to describe what he's seeing. And this brings us to a few things that we should look at and and remember as we're moving forward. So first of all, when John was on the island of Patmos experiencing these visions and writing these things down, it was his understanding that he was writing about things that were happening and about things that were going to happen. So this is largely a prophetic book in the tradition of Old Testament prophets and Old Testament uh, prophetic books that were in existence. And there are many, many parallels in the book of Revelation that harken back to earlier prophetic books in the Old Testament, books like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah, just to name a few. Some of the same imagery from those writings are found in the book of Revelation. And scholars have been studying these parallels, uh, trying to interpret them, trying to understand what's being talked about for centuries. Which brings us to the second thing that we need to pay attention to, and that is time. When a prophecy is given, it's usually not known when the events that are being described are going to take place, other than to know that it's not now, it's future. Maybe the immediate future, it may be a distant future, but it hasn't happened yet. Which leads a reader to invariably question uh, whatever prophecy they're reading and wonder if it's now. Like, is this all happening now? Or is this about to happen and be something that I I witness, I see, I experience. A lot of people read the book of Revelation in particular, even though it's heavily influenced by symbolism from much earlier prophetic writings, in terms of their immediate present. So this would be called like a presentist interpretation. In other words, these ancient prophecies are coming to be fulfilled before my eyes in the here and now. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. For example, the entire book of Matthew, the first gospel that we read, has a very much a presentist attitude toward Jesus. Like He can't hardly turn around in the book of Matthew without fulfilling some prophecy. This is a very, very important thing to the writer of Matthew. It's very, very important to him. And it's one of the primary missions of his gospel. But no matter what time period we're talking about, when we're talking about prophecy... We're going to find a wide range of opinion, scholarly, studied, studious opinion from historical and theological perspectives that are widely in disagreement with each other. And we see this all over the Bible. 
So if we're talking about Old Testament prophets, they were rarely heeded. They were very, very often ostracized. Most of the time, the writings of the prophets weren't affirmed as something inspired by God or something to be held sacred as scripture till much later. In many of the Old Testament prophets, we see other quote-unquote prophets who are saying completely different things. Like, so a prophet will come in and speak to the prophets who are prophesying things that aren't from God. And so this other prophet comes along to denounce them. And then there's a, like a battle between them. Not like a war, but like a war of words. So prophetic disagreement has a long history. And some of the problem comes from dating, right? So from time. When will this happen? And because there's a dominant apocalyptic uh, worldview found throughout the Bible, which is essentially the idea that, uh, that the world as we know it will come to a close and something new will be reborn, God will do a new thing. And uh, this will be like giving birth. Th- there, will be, <laughs> there will be labor pains involved. So that leads every, uh, everyone who reads to go, okay, are we in this? Are we about to be in this? Is, when is this going to happen? So we get to the book of Revelation and we have a very presentist reading. Every generation does it. Everyone thinks it's now. And a lot of what feeds that is the third thing that we need to remember. Symbolism. And we begin to encounter symbolism as we move out of the, the letters to the churches and move more into the body of the book of Revelation. So we have John, who has been caught up in the spirit into heaven, um, standing before what appears to be the throne of God with 24 other thrones uh, that belong to elders and uh, some beasts who look similar to Ezekiel's writings and a sea like glass and rainbows. So we have John, who is seeing things he has never seen before and trying to describe what he is seeing. And so he does uh, what we all do when we can't literally describe something. We use metaphor or symbolism to evoke what we're talking about. So these three things, prophecy, time, and symbolism, present tremendous complexity in, in trying to arrive at an interpretation because there's no key. To, like, like John didn't write down, I'm saying this literally and I'm saying this figuratively. You should take this allegorically. You should take this as absolute fact. So as we come out of these letters and, and John is caught up into this spirit, into heaven and sees God and describes God, should we then say that God, our Father God, looks like Jasper and Carnelian stone? Or was that just the, the best use of his vocabulary, the best words he could use to describe what was indescribable and what he was seeing? And we could probably say uh, probably a little bit of both. There, there's a, lo- a lot of strange um, symbolism, strange creatures, strange uh, goings on in the Old Testament prophets in many of them and in the book of Revelation. And scholars have been trying to figure out this symbolism for millennia. And these disciplines vary widely from a pragmatic, non-religious look at symbology to some of the uh, very sensational, but often very contradictory interpretations that we've always found and that exist in the world today. So the symbolism has always been challenging. And predicting the timing of these events has also been challenging. So like when when Daniel has a vision or when Ezekiel has a vision and he's caught up and he sees these things or when John is in the spirit on the Lord's day and he's caught up and he sees these things, these guys are seeing into the heavenly realms. They're being caught up into a place where there isn't time. So using prophecy, symbolism and time still leaves a lot of challenges about what has happened, what is happening, what has yet to happen. And you can find uh, scholarship of people who will point by point take you through all, uh, the entire thing and say it's all already happened. You can find other people who would say it's happening. And you will have other people who will say it is yet to happen. So I just want to be clear as, as we go through this and we talk about this, some, I'm not trying to interpret the book of Revelation. I don't think I'm qualified enough to do that. But I do think I'm qualified enough to point out some things. 
So we had the letters. Then we have John caught up into heaven and he's before the throne of God in a glassy sea and rainbows and 24 um, elders and creatures and hymns. Like, holy, holy, holy Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. These are things that John heard being sung in heaven. Hymns of worship from heaven. And in, in yesterday's reading from Revelation, this, the whole scene began to unfold. There was one sitting on a throne on the right hand of God who had a scroll or a book that was sealed up with seven seals. From a, a scholarship perspective, there, there is some basic consensus here that seals historically mean that something is hidden that can only be opened by one who breaks the seal, and as each subsequent seal is opened, more is revealed. The problem is there, there's an angel saying, who is worthy to open, right? Who, who can break these seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it, the book of Revelation says. And John then says he cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. So wh why is John in heaven before God? Uh, crying and crying why is he so sad it's probably because he thinks what's in those scrolls is the redemptive destiny of god's people but if there's no one worthy in heaven to tell that story then maybe it can't happen and everything that john and all of his ancestors have hoped in for so long isn't gonna happen and that's been a problem because everyone, including the Apostle Paul, thought things were going to happen much sooner than they had, and they still hadn't happened, and they were still trying to figure it out. And so here's John caught up into heaven, and maybe it's not going to happen. But an angel uh, invites John to stop crying. And then the lion from the tribe of Judah is revealed, the root of David, who's been victorious. He can open the scroll. And then we get another picture of Jesus. So, so John was, you know, in the spirit on the Lord's day and he turned around and he saw some lampstands in the first place. Like when all of this started and he saw Jesus with white hair and flaming eyes and this image of the cosmic Christ. Now he's caught up into heaven and the scrolls can't be opened until Jesus steps forward and John describes him differently. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, and he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. So we have some symbolism here. And, and can it be unraveled? I mean, if we were to take a, a literalistic view of what's being said here, then we would say Jesus has become an actual lamb with... Um, with seven horns and seven eyes, and somehow, as an actual lamb, he took he took the scroll with his hooves out of the hand of God and somehow with his hooves he was able to break the seals, right? So you see, like, it, you can go like, well, I'm just going to read this book literally and what it says it says, or I'm just only going to read this book allegorically and see what it says, or I'm just going to try to find a happy balance here, but how do you know? This is why these books of prophecy, especially with apocalyptic visions, have been examined for thousands of years. But nevertheless, Jesus takes the scroll and everyone falls down before the Lamb and more hymns are sung from heaven. And present at this event appear to be uh, the living beings that Ezekiel saw uh, and the elders that Isaiah saw and they fall down and worship the Lamb. And beyond all of the debate about all of the symbolism that surrounds this, there is consensus uh, among scholars in calling the scene that, that we're seeing here an enthronement scene where Jesus is being acknowledged. Which brings us to today's reading where uh, six of the seven seals are broken. And just to give you like a, a bird's eye view of, of the minutia of scholarship that goes into these kinds of works, it's been debated whether this, this document that has seven seals was a book, a codex, a scroll, or what? 
If there's seven seals and each one that's broken reveals something further, how could you do that with a scroll? Wouldn't you need some kind of codex or some kind of book in order to be able to do that? And what's in the book? Is this the Lamb's Book of Life? Is this the names of everybody? Or is this some kind of prophecy about what's coming next? Obviously, when the scrolls are broken, we find out that it's not names. And yet many have called this the Lamb, you know, this is the Lamb's Book of Life. This is where the names of everyone that gets in is contained. So you can see that, like, that's just one thing. Like, every single word here, every single symbol has been looked at from so many angles. But Jesus uh, breaks seals. And when he does break seals in succession, things happen. And the first four seals, as they're broken, reveal horsemen and horses. And four things happen in succession. The first seal is broken. A white horse appears. The horseman on the white horse has a bow and a crown that was given to him. And he went out as a victor to conquer And then the second seal was broken and another horse appears and this one's a red one and its horseman has the task and was empowered to take peace from the earth so that there would be conflict and battle and death. And he was given a large sword to take with him. And then the third seal was broken and there was another horse and this one was a black horse and the horseman had scales. And it's widely thought that this This represents famine. And there was something like a voice from the four living creatures, which appear to be the same kind, uh, the same or the same kind of creatures that Ezekiel saw. So John heard a voice coming from among the four living creatures. So maybe they're all saying this at the same time or they're all connected somehow. This is all very Ezekiel-like imagery. And they say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the olive oil and the wine. Those are the instructions to the black horse and its rider. And it's been noted, like if we were to talk about the actual time that John was writing this, that these prices would be very, very inflated. So, so in other words, to get enough food, you'd have to work all day just to get enough food to survive based on what the uh, uh, the creatures are telling the horsemen to weigh out and how things are supposed to be priced and so uh, so there's a famine and the next uh, seal is broken and there's a pale green horse and this horseman has a name whereas the other ones don't and this horseman is named death and Hades so the realm of the dead follows close behind And his mission was to preside over um, the death of 25% of the Earth's population. And some of that would happen by the sword, so by war. Some of that would happen through famine and plague. And uh, some of that would happen through wild animals of the Earth. So so the question is, okay, this is is a prophetic utterance that was uttered some 2,000 years ago. Have these things happened? When Jesus broke the scrolls, did that set about these events? Did they begin to happen? Have they already happened? Are they happening now or are they yet to happen? Well, I mean, conquest and victory, that's been around a a long time. Um, Peace being taken from the earth so that people are in conflict with each other and go to war, that's also been happening in the last two couple thousand years and before that um, famine is something that has existed since this was written down and it happened before that and significant loss of life through death uh, in battle in war in famine by plague by wild animal those things have also happened and continue to happen but this brings up some interesting things to think about Jesus is the one breaking the seals. And whether these horses and riders are actual heavenly beings being sent to preside over these events, or if they're uh, the same horsemen found in the book of Zechariah, or whether they're more allegorical announcements that these things have begun or are about to begin, this is taking place because Jesus is breaking the seals 
and these horses and riders are being sent from the throne of God to take care of these things. And they appear to be in line with the uh, prophetic tradition of, of warning and judgment. And now Jesus is presiding over that judgment. And many biblical scholars and commentators have commented that this kind of judgment has a twofold purpose. One is judicial. It's judgment. It's justice. But two, it's redemptive. And some have said compellingly that if the book of Revelation is to be looked at in the tradition of Old Testament prophecy, then the children of Israel had to go through the things that they had to go through. It purified them, and then there was a new beginning. Which brings us to the fifth seal that was broken. When this one was broken, um, th those who had been killed for their testimony and their faithfulness to the Lord appeared under the altar, and they had a, a message. They were saying something. Lord, you are holy and true. How long until you judge and avenge our blood from those who live on the earth? And this how long uh, kind of language is all over the Psalms. And the problem is we don't know exactly when this is happening. So like if this is happening in John's time, then it's everyone who has been martyred up to this point. If we're outside of time, then it could be, you know, it could be any, any period all we know is that it's not done because a white robe was given to each of the martyrs and they were told to rest a little bit longer until uh, until everyone who is going to be martyred is. So the opening of these seals is loosing upon the earth a judgment and purification. And it's difficult and it's causing some to fall into the chaos and become in conflict and at war. It's, it's causing others to be purified and redeemed. Because hardship, difficulty, suffering, they have a way of peeling back the layers to what is essentially core and true about us. And we've seen example after example after example of this in the scriptures. Like in the book of Romans where we're told to take up our own cross and follow Christ. Or that we will find our lives by giving them up. We'll lose. We'll find our life by losing it. These ideas are all throughout the Bible. And then we come to the sixth seal. And there's no horse and there's no rider. There's just sort of the end. And this is in remarkable parallel to the book of Isaiah. So in Isaiah chapter 34, we read, And the powers of the heavens will melt. And the heaven will be rolled up like a scroll, and all the stars will fall as leaves fall from a fig tree. When the sixth seal is broken in the book of Revelation, we read, And the stars of the heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind, and the heaven was split as a scroll having been rolled up. So if you're taking a, a, a literal view here, then what we're reading about, or what we're seeing, is a picture of the end of the cosmos as we know it. If you're reading from a little bit more allegorical perspective, then this is, this is the condition and the scene uh, that is final judgment. And uh, that is where we leave off today. So Father, Father, we invite you into all of this. It may be difficult for us to unravel exactly everything that's being said here, but maybe the point is clear that we have to hold on to you for dear life and that we have to remain faithful to you as you have to us. And that remains true no matter where we are on the continuum so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to help us navigate in this life that those bonds of love and loyalty that exist between us become the things that are most valuable to us, that this relationship is the most valuable thing we have and we can lose everything else but not that. And no one and nothing can take it away. Come Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.